Amen. Take your copy of God's Word. Open, if you would, to 1 John, please. 1 John chapter 2, not to be confused with the Gospel of John, but 1 John, same author, different book. As we consider the manifold love of God, what it means to be children of God. If you were here last week, we talked about exactly what it is to know Jesus as the light and life of life. Jesus says to us in his word that we are to know these things because we have seen them, we have heard them, we have looked upon them, and even yet we have touched them. And John will later say, we don't even know what we're going to be like one day, but we know that we'll be like him, for we're going to see him just as he is. He says, very contrast between truth and error, between truth and lies, that if we say that we don't have sin, we deceive ourselves, the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sin, Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And now he reveals exactly what that means in 1 John chapter 2. Look with me beginning in verse 1. He says, my little children, I am writing these things to you that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, listen to this, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this, we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Beloved, I'm not writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the, from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother, still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going. Because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Why does John so often refer to them as children, technon, little children in some places? Really the only part of the Bible where we are referred to as children in this manner and by one of the apostles. The reason is 
because John, as an older apostle, having received the gospel, becomes a mentor of sorts. He is the only disciple, tradition has it, not to die a martyr's death. He's exiled, but he doesn't die. And on that Isle of Patmos, he receives that great revelation of the Lord that we find at the end of the Bible. He was mentor to not only Ignatius of Loyola, but also Polycarp, two of the great fathers of the faith. And he writes to them as little children because they're part of the family. It's a sign of affection. It's a sign of love. And he says, I write these things unto you for a specific reason. You know that if you deny that you're a sinner, you're lying. The truth is not there. The church is only for sinners. It's not for saints. It's for sinners first and foremost. But if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And so he writes these things to you, not as an excuse to be able to sin, but so that you may not sin. That's why the gospel says, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. That's why Peter says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Paul will say later on, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. But if anyone does sin, and do we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. You know, it's easy to play the church game when times are good. It's easy to have a Christian civility until someone pulls the rug out from under you. In fact, one writer citing about the internment camps that the Japanese kept during World War II cites the line from one of the operas which said, for even saintly folk will act like sinners unless they have their customary dinners. Take away your food, take away your income, take away your house, take away the safety and security of your family, and see how you act. It is part of our very nature to sin, and anybody that thinks that we can solve this world's problems through the economy or through sociology or through education or through an election or anything else is asking to be disappointed. Our great problem is sin. And if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us from all unrighteousness. That's why he says if anyone does sin, and we do, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Jesus is the advocate there with the Father, himself being the righteous one. The Bible says he is the propitiation for our sins. Let me translate that word. That is when Jesus died on the cross, he paid it all. Sins past, sins present, sins future. And by the way, it is God who does the saving. It's not you and I. And therefore, if God is doing the saving, he is also the one who is keeping the saving. Amen. It is not as if we must go to God over and over again to receive salvation. Instead, we go for confession because we are part of the family. We are his children. And he who keeps us holds us in his hands and no one can pluck them away. And he says, it is not for our sins only but also for the sins of the whole world. Here Jesus is identifying with others throughout Scripture. Jesus as the son of David identifies with David through his lineage. Jesus as the son of man identifies with man through his baptism. And Jesus as the son of God identifies with God the Father through his seat at the right hand of his throne as our high priest, as our representative. The Bible says he is our 
advocate. I heard the story of a man who was taking an exam at a college class, was told by the entire class, the professor said, you have one sheet of paper that you can bring in, that's it. And so like everyone, they had notes crammed on that. Anything that you wanted to write on it, you could write. Some of them had the smallest ink, the smallest type, whatever they could cram onto this thing, except for one guy. He came in, laid an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper on the floor and had his buddy, who just happened to have a PhD in science, stand on top of it. He was within the rules because they said anything that you could fit on this paper will work. And he used him the entire time asking him questions about the exam, and he was the only one in the class to receive an A. You know what that man had? He had an advocate. The Bible says that before the throne of God, you and I, left on our own, can never pass the test. But thank God he has given us an advocate, Jesus Christ, the righteous. It is as if the story of another who was going about hearing of a woman who was in trouble, not able to pay her rent, about to be evicted. He heard of it as a businessman, got her everything that he could together, managed to come up with a couple of months' rent from his buddies, went and knocked on her door and could not get her to answer to save his life. Knocked again and again and again. And finally, he saw her out in the street one day saying, hey, we have help for you. You can receive this. We, we have rent for you to get you through the next couple of months. And she said, oh, she said, I didn't think you were a creditor. She said, I thought you were the landlord coming to kick me out. That's how people live their lives. Apart from Christ, they think that God is out to get them. When Jesus says himself, if you will receive my pardon freely on the cross, you will find out that Jesus isn't a landlord. He is Lord of lords. And he makes all of the rules. And when you trust in him, you have life. It is as if God, in the courtroom of eternity, Here's a case for you on why you should get into the kingdom of God. Satan is against you. He's the worst prosecutor of all, but he knows every one of your sins. He condemns you in the sight of the Father. And then you looked for an attorney, and yours walked out the door and said, I can't defend that case. You in your misery said, there's nothing I'll be able to do. And all of a sudden, someone stands for you and says, I will advocate you. And Jesus Christ himself walks in and says, Everything about you is true, but he says, Father, it's covered by the blood, every single bit of it, and God bangs down that gavel of eternity, and he says, case dismissed. When Jesus is your advocate, you don't need to pass a bar exam. All you have to do is have the blood of Jesus. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. He says, I write these things that you may not sin, but if you do, you have an advocate. Jesus Christ the righteous. Often what we want to do with our sin is hide it into the darkness because men dwell in darkness because their deeds are evil. The light has a tendency to expose. But if you will bring it into the light, it is also the most freeing thing that you can do because God himself is light, dwelling in unfathomable light. And when you do that, you can have a freedom that you've never experienced before when you take it to Jesus. So we see love's advocacy. It comes in the per person of Jesus. But then we see love's affection. 
John says, how is it that we know if we've come to know him? Here's a very easy way. It's not as if I've memorized all the books of the Bible, although that's good. It's not as if I've memorized key passages, although that's good. It's not as if I have the three key answers that will get me through most Bible trivia games 99% of the time. That is God, Jesus, or Moses. Answer those, you're in good shape. That's good. He doesn't say that's how we know. How can we know? If we keep his commandments, you want to know whether or not you know God? Do you keep his commandments? And more important than that, do you even want to? And the scripture says his commandments are not burdensome. It isn't as if Jesus is putting all of this pressure on you so that you will be crushed into the ground. Instead, he is lifting you with the freedom of Christ. David says, I delight to do your will. Your law is within my heart. That is, when you know true freedom, his commandments will not be a burden to you. They will be a blessing to you because they are God's highest degree of good for you. And I want you to notice the repeated, clear delineation between truth and lies highlighted throughout this passage. Look at verse 4. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, it doesn't say is mistaken. It doesn't say is grievous. It says whoever doesn't keep his commandments is a liar. But well, you got to be careful about calling somebody a liar nowadays. You can say, well, I was misquoted. We even, we even have our own uh, alternative facts. It's not even facts and facts. It's, a, it's alternative facts now. Don't call somebody a liar. But John comes out and says it. You don't keep the commandments of God and you say no, you know God. You are a liar. And the truth is not in you. He makes this distinction. It isn't my truth and somebody else's truth. It isn't what the world says is truth. It isn't what you think is truth. It's Jesus says you'll know the truth. He says, I am the truth. Truth is not an idea or a concept. Truth is a person. And so if you don't know the truth, you don't know Jesus ultimately. It's not in you. Have you examined your heart? It isn't as if we strive toward perfection. We're not there. But we ought to have a desire to keep his commandments. And he says, look, this isn't a new commandment. You can wrap up all 600 Levitical laws if you want to, and you can find it in two things. Here's what you got to do. You got to love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and strength. You got to love your neighbor as yourself. You do those two things, you've kept them all. And yet that's hard to do. He says it isn't a new commandment. It's what you've heard from the beginning. Just like he begins the letter in chapter 1. It's an old commandment. It's the word you've heard. At the same time, it's new. Perhaps it seems new because now, although they've dwelled in darkness, these people are now seeing a great light. And that light is Christ. They can see the finish line. They can see the kingdom is coming. They can see God's will is being done as it is in heaven. So even though it's from the beginning, it is new in the sense that they see how it is fulfilled and accomplished in Jesus because the darkness is passing away and that true light, the light of Christ, is already shining. I want you to imagine writing those words down in that time of history. John's on an island. He doesn't have cable or internet. Sure doesn't have microwaves and ovens and all the wonderful things that you and I have nowadays. The Roman Empire has made it illegal to be a believer. His friends are all dead. 
and everything that he once knew in comfort is gone. And yet he says the true light is shining. It may look like darkness to everybody else, but Jesus sits on the throne. And can I say this? However dark it looks outside and in your circumstances and whatever this world becomes, it will eventually all come to Jesus. Either willingly or unwillingly, it's coming to Jesus because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already coming. Now he says, you can't claim to be in the light if you still hate your brother. Look what here, here in verse 9. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother better abide in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But if you hate your brother in the darkness and you walk in the darkness, you don't know where he's going because the darkness has blinded your eyes. You can't claim to be in the light if you hate your brother. Well, how can you love your brother? By abiding in the light because in him there's no cause for stumbling. So if you say that you love God and you say that you know God and you say you keep his commandments but you hate your brother, you're in the darkness. You walk in the darkness. And when it's dark outside, you don't know where you're going because the darkness has already blinded your eyes. Someone said people don't fall out of love. They fall out of repentance and forgiveness. Isn't that true? The true light is not seen because the darkness has blinded your eyes. If you harbor hatred or ill will towards another in your heart, and heaven forbid it be in the same room, which is sadly often the case, you do not know the truth. Or you better repent and come to the light. He gives us love's action. He gives us love's affection and love's advocate and he moves us to love's action. Look what he says to these guys. I am writing to you, young men, because you've overcome the evil one. Friends, there is a dearth of men and young men living for God in this world today, and we need them to start living for God. That starts with you to be the man of your house and the spiritual leader of your family and not to make your wife drag you to church, you drag them to church. You be in the Lord's house. You be faithful. You stop focusing on making money all the time and you focus on the God who is over all of that, the true God, the light of the gospel. He says, I'm writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. Now they're surrounded by evil. And he says, wait, you've overcome it. He says, I write to you young men because you're strong. And yet the Bible says when we're weak, that's when we're strong. The word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Now everybody reading that passage of scripture at that time, hearing it read out loud as would have been likely the case, is wondering how in the world is this true of me. And yet Jesus says it is true. Do you know why it's true? Because the light and the truth isn't just before your eyes, it's in your heart through the Spirit of God. And even though you can't see it, and even though you don't feel it, and even though it seems like all circumstances are off, when you walk in the light as He is in the light, the darkness will not overwhelm you and cannot overcome you because the true light 
always shines. I heard something interesting the other day. You think about this. Why is it that the psalmist says in Psalm 103, as far as the east is from the west, so far has God separated us from our sins? Perhaps you heard of the lady who was asked how she dealt with that, and she said, Preacher, when the devil comes at me, I send him to the east. When he comes back at me, I send him to the west. He runs so far east and west, he don't really have time to mess with me. But he says east and west. Why not north and south? Well, if you go north, all the way up to the North Pole, I've never been, perhaps you have, but eventually when you reach the top, at some point, you got to start going south again. But if you go from east to west, east never really meets west. You keep going in the same direction. So your sin is going that way, and it never comes in contact with where it was originally. The psalmist says that because there is nothing in your life, no guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in you from life's first cry to final breath. Jesus commands your destiny. If you walk in the light as he is in the light, you have an advocate with the Father. So here's the question. Are you walking in the light? How do you know if I'm walking in the light? Well, do you love your brother? your brother and sister in Christ? Do you love your neighbor? Here's another question. If you don't love them, do you hate them? Because you can't do that at the same time as love God. But if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive, of cleanse from all unrighteousness. Let me say something to Glendale today. Those of you that have been part of the church before, those of you that are coming and seeing what the Lord would have you to do, God has used this church in a tremendous way. We've had stumbles just like everybody else through the years, but he has brought us together for such a time as this. And the miracle of all of this is that his church is still around to witness this very day and to see you here. The reason is this. God has a plan for his church and for the churches to reach the nations for Christ. But the best way that we can do that, as best as our mission statement is, as tight as our programs and strategies are, all of that is good. But the best way that we can reach people for Christ and let our light shine is to live for God each and every day in the very places where he's placed us. Have you thought about what it is to love your neighbor, to love your brother, to walk in the light, to not be caught up in the darkness, and when you are, to expose it? That is the way to live for God's church. And when you do that, Jesus will not help but be glorified, and the world will know who he is. John will say this is how they're going to know who we are, not by our accomplishments, not by our statues, not by our accolades, but by whether or not we love one another. That's it. Would you bow your heads with me? I'll ask our musicians to come just a moment we'll have an invitation time incidentally the invitation is always open god works in all kinds of times and all kinds of different ways if you want to come in the next couple of minutes you can if you want to stay after the service you can if you want to make an appointment see me grab somebody you can do that but the most important thing we can do in this time and in this place right now is ask the question that john asked of us are we walking in the light how do we know do you love the brothers? Do you love brothers and sisters in Christ? Because you can't walk with God and hold hands with the devil at the same time. It's impossible. 
Doesn't mean we won't stumble. Doesn't mean we won't have difficulty along the way. Of course we do. But it means, is my heart, as best I can tell, seeking to love the brothers, seeking to walk in truth, seeking to live in the light of Christ? Is that you today? If it's not, it can be. Because the scripture reminds us if we confess those sins, Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us of those sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Dear friend, do you have the light of Christ in your life? Father, I thank you that this morning we have an advocate. and His name is Jesus Christ, the righteous. And whatever we do or fail to do, you have told us that he will be there through the end. For he is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And today, Lord, I pray as we celebrate the 67th anniversary of this great church, these great people, and your great work, I pray that you would do an even greater work in the days and the weeks and the months and the years ahead, that age-old mission of calling out the called, of letting the light shine, of walking in the truth of Jesus. Have your way in our hearts, in our lives, if there's someone here that doesn't know you, May today be the day of salvation. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.